Yeah. Guys, it was funny, last week we forgot to mention this with that slide projector, this is a big deal. Tess has got vision issues and here she was singing last week. Here's what's a beautiful thing, Linda will sing in Tess's ear so she knows the words to the song during worship and you don't have to sing in her ear anymore. You'll have to sing in Bonnie's ear now, no. So I mean, Tess, it's amazing. So just a fantastic thing just hearing some of the stories with that, but yeah, we got a, we got a new projector, isn't that pretty awesome? A little brighter in the room. So I wanted to talk to you today about joy and the journey. Um, how many are happy? Or how many, I should say, want to be happy? Let's get happy around here. Turn to someone, elbow them real quick and say, get happy. Get happy. So, you know, you know you, uh, our Constitution declares that little thing, life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. Oh, that's shallow. That's shallow. No, no, no. No, John Bloom was talking about this in his article, The Most Repeated Command in the Bible, and he asks this question. What do you think the most repeated command in the Bible is? It's not anything about prohibitions or warnings. It's not about sex or money or power. The most repeated command in the Bible will probably surprise you. Be happy. God tells us more than anything else, God truly wants you to be truly, deeply happy, not just in heaven someday and not when circumstances take a turn for the better. Can I get a hearty amen there? Some of us have been waiting for our circumstances to make a turn for the better. Some of us have kind of, well, when I get this, I'm going to be happy. When is it going to turn? And actually what's really sad is some of us aren't even waiting anymore. We just talk about this is my lot in life, and so I'm just going to live in this little cave the rest of my life. Why don't we turn real quick to Philippians chapter 3. It's a beautiful chapter. We're going on this uh, joy series. And this letter is basically the letter of joy. And we see Paul very pronounced in here and commanding people to rejoice in the Lord. Isn't that great? We did some rejoicing here today, by the way. Whatever happens, by the way, isn't it crazy that laughter is really doeth good like medicine? You know, you get around people and they start laughing and then you start laughing. You don't even know why you're laughing. Have you ever done that before? You know, it's just kind of like everybody's just laughing about something. And so you get in a room, you know, have a good comedian that's talking and, and they start to make everyone laugh. It's a beautiful thing to have a really good comedian around, isn't it? You got to have the clowns. My goal in high school was to be the biggest class clown there ever was. And I did it right. I did it good. I got teachers on my side. There was only one teacher that knew my drill and she, she called me out on it. But other teachers, no, they didn't. And I got to be the biggest clown there was. It was fantastic. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. He starts right there and he says, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. I am doing this to safeguard your faith. One of the greatest things that will kill Christians is a Christian that has no joy. Can I get an amen there? Amen. You will basically become a practical atheist here on earth. Yeah, you might have written your insurance policy for heaven, but you literally are not even practicing your faith. You literally sit in doldrums. And he says, I do this 
to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs. We're going to talk about this. Paul starts trash talking. Those people who do evil, those mutilators, who say you must be circumcised to be saved. I want you to get the spirit of Paul here. He called people dogs. How many like to be called dog around here? That wasn't very nice, Paul. He called people dogs, but we're going to expound on that. For we who worship, we worship by the spirit of God, are the ones who truly are circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Can I get an amen there? Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, and I am a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Everybody go, man, that's pretty good. A real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience in the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for the righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Isn't that great? Even Paul realized all of that was garbage. I once thought that these things were valuable. But now, listen to this and get this straight, folks. Get, get this straight, those of us who are thinking that reading our Bible more, praying harder, is going to get us greater. Get this. I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Isn't that amazing? For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection for, from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Can I get an amen there? But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed for me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. How many would you like to have that statement about yourself for people. Isn't that amazing? And learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. That was a huge chapter and a big reading, but there is a lot of meat and potatoes in there, isn't there? Rejoice in the Lord. By the way, me, us, his mighty people, 
have the opportunity and privilege to go to the holy mountain today, don't we? We did it. You know, you did it today. We went to the presence of God. Turn real quick to Hebrews chapter 12. And I think it's important for us to understand and give context to where things are at in our lives. Hebrews chapter 12, and a call to listen in to God. He talks about the presence of God here, and as we go into the presence of God with joyfulness and being invigorated, he said this, you have not come to a physical mountain, a place of flaming fire and darkness and gloom and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai, because that's what they experienced. When they came to see God in the Old Testament, it was a very scary, fearful place to be and go. In fact, they didn't even want to go up to see God because they were so scared of it. Moses only went with Joshua. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and I am trembling. Man, can you imagine if it stopped right there with that God? Doesn't stop there. Let's move on. No. Everyone say no. no. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the countless thousands of angels, and a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Isn't that amazing? Do you folks right now, we are part of a joyful gathering. I know sometimes we go to church and we don't feel too joyful, do we? I've said it before, you're driving down the road and the stoplight happens and you're really mad. I've told you there's like three or four stoplights in Rockford that I would take an ax to today if I could. <laughs> but you come to a joyful gathering. This is not a gathering to be somber at. Save your somberness for Monday, please. You've come to a joyful gathering. That's the goal. Yeah, this is serious work, Steve. Yeah, I know. The serious joy is the serious business of heaven, C.S. Lewis writes. Joy is the serious business. You want serious business? Then you're going to have to grab hold of some joy. This day, by the way, for you, if we forget, sometimes we get so short-sighted that we forget that this day, today, this Sabbath day that we meet together on Sunday is about hope and healing. We preach hope to you. This day is to focus all of our attention on the risen Savior. This day, a Sabbath day, is a holy day set aside to do one thing, to honor God. Surrounding you today, by the way, are peoples whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Isn't that crazy? Turn to someone and say, you're on that list, right? So you got this book up in heaven, the Lamb's book of life. And the minute you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this unerasable ink comes out, right, Jim? 
You know, I saw a funny comic. No, I'm not going to say it, Ashley. That's the one we're going to save for Christmas. <laughs> but your name is on that list. Your name is on that list. Did you call upon the name of the Lord? If you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Amen. Say, Pastor, what a, my life stinks right now. Maybe it does. Anybody ever been in stinky places in life? Yeah. They stink. No one's denying the stink there. Honestly. But the Lamb's Book of Life, joyfully, and the corridors of heaven, you're surrounded by angels, and you're brought into the presence of God, not a fearful God, although the Bible declares that we, might, we come into the presence of God with an awesome fear. There is a fear of understanding that he is God and I am not. He is not like us. But when you come to the presence of God, you and I can come there because Jesus went before us. And you have reason to be joyful. Heaven is a place of joy and celebration. They don't even have a time of mourning in heaven. Do you know that? You know, on earth, you've got a time for mourning and a time for, you know, you've got all these seasons. The season in heaven is joy. Amen. Surrounding you today are people's names written in heaven. You know, have you ever been to those churches or schools where people's names are everywhere? You know, like this person sponsored this brick. <laughs> we, you can't buy a brick here at Turning Point. I'm really sorry. You go to street signs and street corners and it's named after this person. That's great. We pay homage to people. That's fantastic, right? There's big names in Rockford and philanthropists. Thank God for them. Boy, I sure enjoy some of the philanthropy that Rockford has. Thank God for people who have stepped up. Their name gets on a building. But folks, my goal in life is not to have a name on the side of a building. My goal in life is to have my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. To hell with our money and our power, and our sense of, I'm important. Amen. It's so important for us to understand that name. He says in verse 28, since we are receiving a kingdom that's unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is an all-consuming fire. Folks, I want to tell you, never let his praise leave your lips. Maybe today, right now, honestly, you're having a hard time praying. Like, what do I even say? Anybody been there before? I don't even have the words for this. I've prayed. Enough. I don't even know what to say. Here's what I would tell you to do to start out your day. Thank God for the amazing sunshine that you're blessed with. I've said it before. They call them breath prayers. God, thank you for my wife. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my home. Thank you for my job. Thank you for the wheels on my car that work. You know, every time I come home from a trip, do you know what I say? I go, thank you, God, we didn't have any flat tires. Amen. We don't even know what to say anymore when we pray because we want to pray our problems through and we forgot to thank the Lord. Amen. Amen. When are you supposed to praise him? He says this. Rejoice in the Lord always, whatever happens. Whatever happens this week to you, praise him. Amen. You have a crummy week last week, throw it in a trash can and praise him anyway. 
I'm going to be the annoying pastor that tells you that. I am not going to sit around the fire. Every one of us wants to warm our hands. Wasn't that a big problem? Ooh, that was really big. Let's bring some other people around here to remind us how big it is. Let's put it on Facebook. Oh my gosh, horrible day. Hashtag, I want to die. <laughs> so let's ruminate it. Let's light a candle next to it. It's crazy to me, through whatever happens, Habakkuk 3.18, he had a vision of something that all of us in America need right now. I was talking to my wife last night. It was crazy. We were at dinner, made my fish. We were watching the Cubs. God bless them. If you have something to be sad about today, it's the Cubs. <laughs> right, John? It took us a while, me and Ann. It was like a full 24 hours. We were like, I had my funeral gear on, like a black suit that I was wearing to work. It's been a bad day. <laughs> through whatever happens. But I'm sitting there through whatever happens and that whole idea. And I go, Ann, honestly, and this was an honest question, what did we do before the internet? I mean, some of us maybe weren't alive before the internet, right? In the room. You know, you, 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 you look at that and you think about what did we do before our phones that had to be addressed? What did we do before we talked about every issue there was in life to solve? Do you know what you used to do? Think about what you used to do before you knew everything. How many know everything in this room? I'll show a hand that's everyone. So we have all the answers, all the problems. So now what we have is we have notifications for everything going on everywhere in life. We have notifications for our oil changes. We can put notifications on our fridges. We have notifications literally to get up. But imagine time. Imagine the time and the space in your life where you didn't talk about all of life's problems. And this truly is a big issue, isn't it, in the, in the world? Do you know the biggest thing that people are facing right now is anxiety? Do you think part of the result of our anxiety is because every issue going on in life, we have a front seat and we have 40 articles to support the reason of the seriousness of the problem going on at hand? Pastor, do you know? I mean, what did we do before it? It's only been... Like, Facebook came out when? 2003 or 4 or 5? It's not been forever, folks. You were a different person before that. Come on, let's be honest. You were different. I was different. The chemistry in your brain, the electrons, they move. You know that. You change. And now... We detach ourselves from the spirit of joy and we grab hold of anxiety. We are different people. And it's not because culture changed, it was because we changed with culture. Habakkuk 3.18 even declares this. You say, well, pastor, what do I have to praise God for? Even though the fig trees have no blossoms 
and there are no grapes on the vines, and the fields lie empty. Anybody there right now? I'll be honest. And barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Yet will I praise him. Some of you are going to have to do some pragmatic, practical things in your life. And you say, where was I? Who was I before I became who I am now? Where am I in this? Joyful means this. Be glad. Gilel contains the suggestion of dancing for joy. That's not a dance. That was a hop, but you know, just... Or leaping for joy. This lays to rest. Since, wait, the, since the verb originally means to spin around with intense motion. That's joy. This lays to rest the notion that the biblical concept of joy is only a quiet inner sense of well-being. God dances for joy over Jerusalem, the Bible declares, because of his people. Not this inner sense of I've got it all together, I'm cool and collective. Some of you in this place have got it too together. And some of it is good at home to maybe twirl around once, maybe twice. Maybe jump for joy in the presence of your enemy and laugh in the face of the darkness that faces you and to shout out something that you've been hindered and encumbered by because you have taken on the spirit of the world as opposed to having the spirit of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whatever happens. Turn to someone real quick and say, whatever happens. Some of us in this place, including myself, will have to disrupt the status quo in our life. You've lived without joy for too long. You've lived without joy for too long. John Piper says, by the way, God is not after the kind of thanks a six-year-old is forced to say to his grandma after getting a black pair of socks for Christmas. God wants us to look past the things that frustrate, anger, disappoint, discourage, sadden, and depress us and see his grace. Some of us, we treat that spirit of thanksgiving like the socks that you got for Christmas. Great. It's like a Christmas story when Ralphie comes down with the rabbit, pink rabbit suit as aunt. Put it on, Ralphie. She likes it. Oh, come on. <laughs> Everything is wrong around me. But you can declare this, everything is right with me and my Savior. Everything might be wrong around you. Bills to pay, people problems. Anybody got any people problems in this place? Can I show a raise a hand here real quick? Okay, well, a couple of people here. How many people problems do we have in this place? Money problems. Everything might be wrong around me, but everything is right with me and my Savior. That's a pretty cool place to be, isn't it? Why? 
The Bible declares because nothing can separate you and me from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate you. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Now we get into the past tense. We understand that whatever happens, but this is another joy stealer for us. Whatever happened. Anybody got a past in this place? Paul said this, and it's a very difficult verse to swallow, and you really got to really dive into it to really understand what he's even meaning there. Forget the past, I press towards the mark. Do you think Paul ever forget about the people that he murdered? Think he forgot about them? Do you think he ever forgot about the people that he tortured or had sent to jail for their crimes? Do you think he ever forgot? Have you ever forgotten the pain in your past? Honestly. Never forgot it. You know the time and the date, right? So how can we forget something you can't forget? Is he just saying to forget everything? And that's where Christians really don't even understand the power of forgiveness. Forgiveness is remembering, actually, and giving to God and letting go of your ability and you be the judgment caller of that person or situation and giving God control of it, not you. Mark Batterson, he was rummaging through a shoebox of memories in his life, and he thought of the statement, I am every age up to my own. He said, as I rummaged through it, the spiritual mementos inside my shoebox don't just reveal who I was, they also reveal who I am. The oxygen mask from my stint in the ICU is not just a distant memory, it's part of my daily consciousness. In a sense, I'm that shoebox, and that shoebox is me. I am more than my name. I am more than my occupation. I'm more than my degrees. I'm more than my dreams. I'm even more than my family. I am who I was. It's my footprints. Where I've been and what I've done that reveal my soul print. It's my unique combination of memories that make me who I am spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and motivationally. It's also that unique combination of memories that enables me to worship God in a way that no one else can. Isn't that cool? Why? Because when the congregation sings the classic, great is thy faithfulness, it's more than a generic praise for a static character trait. God's faithfulness is unique as every moment of your life. Every memory is a testament of his dynamic faithfulness that is simultaneously the same and different for anyone and everyone else. He goes on to write, I thank God for memory. Without it, we'd have to relearn everything every day. It's our ability to remember the past that enables us to imagine the future. And that's the point of remembering his faithfulness, isn't it? It fuels our future tense of faith. So you think about your past right now, and you'll never forget it. You'll never forget the day. I'll never forget the day when I was on a three-wheeler and I hit a corner and flipped off it and bounced off that three-wheeler and got tons of stitches because of the barbed wire fence. I will never forget the pain that I experienced that day. And do you know what was crazy about that accident? Where I experienced all my pain was in my ankle as it hit the handlebars. That was funny. My shoes came off. Why do shoes come off at every accident? But I'll never forget it. The most painful part for me was that stupid ankle of mine. How many of you remember those pains? So what are we going to do with the pain? What are you going to do with the memory? 
Here is a beautiful thing that a Christian has that an unbeliever doesn't have. The unbeliever can't redeem the past. The unbeliever has no ability to go into their past and make something bright out of it, but God can. God's not a future God only. He's not a present God only. God is also a past God. Maybe the past errors and mistakes and everything you might have gone through. Jesus Christ is right there, giving the pain and the sorrow to the Lord. You think today if symbolically everybody in here had a shoebox that had maybe memories or notes or whatever it would have been in your life that you remembered and you're cognizantly aware of it, have you given that memory to God for him to redeem it? The enemies lied to you and said that you can't move out from something in your life. How many have believed that before? You think about your own life and you just can't move around it. You're boxed in, you're jailed in, you're bound. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Jeannie Allen writes, it's not easy to stop believing lies. Without a show of hands in here, how many of us have believed a few lies in our life? Maybe you believed a lie about someone that was told to you. The chatter, maybe you had gossip stuff. Somebody was lying to you about something. They misconstrued an element about someone. And now you yourself have bought into a lie and your relationship is ruined because you're listening to gossip and junk in your life. And it doesn't even give the, God the opportunity to make a future for someone because you're stuck in the past with them. You can't even have a bright future with people because all you're thinking about is 10 years ago in the shoebox. You know, the Bible says to cast off every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Our imagination is really crazy sometimes, isn't it? And our imagination goes to really weird, crazy places. And don't tell me that our imaginations aren't joy stealers. They are. We think of the craziest elements of life for us and for people around us. I want you to imagine the possibility of starting with joy to imagine your future. Imagine thinking about joyfully the future of America. Can't have joy right now. Did you read the newspaper? I got joy. I got, man, do we, do we serve a redeeming God who brings revivals to the nations? Amen. Didn't get any men's there. <laughs> do we serve a God who brings revival to nations? Yes. Imagine joyfully the opportunity as you stare out and the tree has no fruit on it, and you're not getting any sense of production out of the work, you're kind of hitting the wall and things, and then imagine declaring, but God has a plan. Imagine that. Yet will I praise God. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, wrote this. I was reading his, he has kind of a journal, and I've been reading through his journal off and on, and he says this, things will soon look up by God's blessing if they are looked after. We need to start looking after some things in our life, don't we? As, as opposed to dropping them off at the daycare, the devil daycare. <laughs> you know, some of us, we drop it off at the devil because he's doing a really good job grinding out and doubling down how painful life is to you and how painful and dramatic life is to you. And you haven't paid any attention to your own thoughts about it. Things will start to turn around if you start to tend to it. You're going to have to start guarding your mind. You thought the responsibility was the other person's. The Bible says to guard your heart. 
We guard our mind and everything that comes in it. Every thought that comes into your mind, by the way, dear saints, is not a thought from God. How many of you had some stinking thinking before in your life? Aren't you glad you sat on that stinking thinking and didn't open your mouth about it? Can I get an amen? Start guarding your mind and your heart once again and looking for joy stealers in your life. If something's taking joy from you in your life, then it's time to extinguish it and get it out of there. Instead of looking past the loss or instead of looking at the past as the loss and the heartache, see God's faithfulness. See that as care that he got you through it. Think about accidents that you avoided. Think about what could have been today if God wasn't faithful to you. How many have been saved from something here today that God saved your miserable situation from? See his care. Don't see your lack. See your abundance. See the opportunity for joy and to give God praise in a place that you normally wouldn't give God praise for. I love this. And Sandra, if you want to come up and start playing, there's a beautiful verse I want you to turn to. Maybe you get a post-it note out this week and you put this up on your mirror for yourself. Psalm 3.3, right at the middle of your Bible. If we're going to get joy back, we're going to have to start taking the word of God serious again. Amen? Psalm 3.3, a beautiful promise for some of us who have maybe been in a place of shame and been tormented by those things and joy has not been a quality or a characteristic that has been very profound to us in our lives. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. Think about that. Somebody read that out, not just me. Somebody read that out for yourself real quick. Somebody take that verse, just read it out if you've got that verse. It's hard to read, isn't it? Amen. Anybody else want to read it? Anyone else want to read it for yourself? But thou, O Lord, art a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. One of the hardest things to learn in life, just personality, business, or whatever, is making eye contact with people. Isn't it hard sometimes? Our tendency between God and us is to, is to kind of get into this crouch mode. Don't look at me, God. Cover me up. The Bible declares that your God and my God is a shield around us. You're my glory. And lift my head. I want you to have a habit this week because our tendency is we sit down, we fold our hands, because folded hands mean that you're religious and you're a Christian, right? <laughs> and we close our eyes because you have to close your eyes in order to see God. You knew that, right? How stupid we've become. 
And you know, Paul called these people dogs. They called them mutilators. Because what they did to the church in that day was they were saying, yeah, the cross is kind of important, but you got to make sure you get circumcised and you do these four things and you run on that spiritual treadmill because that proves that you're a believer. And we still have dogs and mutilators in churches today. Most of those churches are dying, thank God. Amen? Amen. So this week, maybe you're going to do something that's going to break a bad habit, a religious habit, a religious spirit, a legalistic spirit over you, as opposed to being like this, which, guys, there's times I'm like that too. Nothing wrong with that. Bow, the Bible says there's positions physically that we get into. We, we bow down. We, we stand up in the holy of holies. We do sorts of things, but maybe this week we stand up and we lift our head and we look to heaven from where our help comes from. Not down here, but up there. Right here. Why don't you stand with me, all of us? We'll stand together. And maybe you take this verse and you realize today that your shield today is not your knowing of your circumstances. It's not your figuring out even your circumstances right now. It's just simply knowing that, God, you protect me, you're a shield around me, and you're the lifter of my head. I pray a joy blessing over you this week that you consume less of the joy-stealing stuff in your life that's giving you no hope and you start consuming God's word over your life and you start to prophesy the things like Habakkuk said and he said, though the tree's not blossoming, yet I will praise you. And maybe the tears come down because of the pain, but through that pain, everything around you might really stink right now but everything is right with you and God. Why don't we lift our hands, lift our heads to heaven. And I want you to proclaim this as you look to heaven. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for filling me with joy. Thank you, God, for raining down on my life for being a shield about me, for being the lifter of my head. Sorry, God, that my vision has been at my feet and not towards the heavens, that it's been in the ground and not lifted up. I give you me today, God. I will be a container of happiness and of joy. I am contagious. Because I'm filled with joy. And though things around me might stink, it's great with you. And thank you, God, that these tears are not wasted. That these prayers aren't wasted. And that I have friendship with you. I choose to enjoy you. Once you close your eyes now, I'm going to pray a blessing over you. Father, the family of God, the people of God here in this place, 
I thank you that we are not driven by culture and we're not driven by the mood of the culture. And forgive us, God, for our moods have been dictated to us by the winds of the day. And the world is constantly changing. It lacks focus. It eats itself. And we have eaten each other. And forgive us for being mutilators. And forgive us at times for being dogs. For we have chosen a law that is dead as, a as, as opposed to the cross in Christ who was alive and risen. I have come to give you joy and joy in its abundance. God, thank you today for blessing these dear saints whose names are cataloged in heaven. They're not lost. Angels in heaven right now are not wondering, okay, what do we do with this? Where's that paper? God, you have written their names on the palm of your hand because they have called upon you. Today, God, thank you for the assurance and thank you for giving our church rhythm back so we can dance again, so we can hop and step and leap for joy. That we're not thanking you because of the pair of black socks you gave us. We're thanking you, God, for you have given us new life. Thank you for this church and the expression that people have. Thank you for giving us personality back. Thank you for giving us the eye, the look, the vision. Thank you for giving us our taste receptors for life back. We've lost a zeal, and we need it back. Father, thank you for giving us a zeal and a fullness an expression and a church, Western church that has been without expression. Thank you, God, for giving us expression of your Holy Spirit, which changes nations. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. amen. Folks, I love you so much. I guess maybe we'll keep on the joy thing next week, right? Might as well stay happy, right? So I love you guys so much. Don't forget to uh, jump into the cafe and hang out for a little bit, talk to some people, and the sign-up sheet there. And um, thank you to all with us helping out that family. I sent that text out. It was kind of a last-minute thing that happened. But thank you, everyone, for helping that family out that's in that hotel there. We were able to give them some gift certificates to the grocery store and help them for this week here where they're staying. So God bless you, and I look forward to everything that's going to happen this week. Amen. Yeah.